But then I said something like, we need to have patience with ourselves. Um, and we don't understand that because we live in a world where everything needs to be really quick um, and everything, you want to see results immediately. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Alexis Alvarez. Alexis is the founder of Career Rockstars, a boutique talent and diversity search firm that partners with the lower and middle market PE and credit players to help make diversity more of a reality in their firms. In fact, she has a 60 to 75% diversity placement rate in her company. Alexis has over 15 years recruiting experience, and she is also a podcast host herself. Her show is called Take the Stage, and it features conversations with rock stars from the world of private equity and credit. I have had the pleasure of knowing Alexis for the last three years. She's one of the founding members of our coaching program and global community for recruitment business owners. Um, actually, prior to founding Career Rockstars, Alexis re led recruitment efforts in the European and Middle Eastern digital TV spaces, working with HBO Europe and Stars Play Arabia. She's got an MBA from IE Business School in Madrid in Spain, and she is also the mother of three young children. As you can imagine, she is super busy. Alexis, <laughs> Alexis, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mark. I am super pumped to be here. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. This is long overdue. Why have we not done this before? I agree. <laughs> Uh, I agree. I agree. No, um, I'm. I am. I like. I said. I'm just really excited to to be here and honored, actually, to you know be be a guest. Oh, the honor is mine, um, Alexis. I'm really curious to learn your the story behind your international lifestyle because you are an expat living in Madrid. You are from the U.S. and most of your clients are in the U.S. I believe. Why did you end up living in Europe? Yeah, so um, I'm one of those, you're correct, I'm one of those Americans that uh, went to study abroad and to the dismay of my parents uh, decided I wasn't going to go back. <laughs> um, and so it's been 17 years now that I have been uh, residing in in Spain. So, you know, I, I did a study abroad my junior year of college. I'm, I'm originally from Los Angeles, uh, born and raised in the beautiful San Fernando Valley um, and, you know, spent my entire life here. Um, and when I you know, when I was looking at study abroad options, which is something I had always wanted to do and knew from very young that I wanted to go abroad at some point, um, I, you know, decided to go to Spain. I spent a year there, loved it, came back, finished up my degree and started working. And when I, you know, I still didn't really have like a very clear path. Um, at the time, I, I began working for a nonprofit um, organization, working with students um, and, and professionals and, you know, really enjoyed kind of that, that element of working with students. And, and, you know, I was, I was a membership coordinator for, uh, a society, uh, the, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Um, and so I really enjoyed that piece of working with students and, you know, kind of helping them. It was in many ways, kind of just a very, superficial, maybe top level way uh, of, you know, kind of, of career coaching and kind of guiding them. And so, you know, those kind of indications were always there. 
but it wasn't, um, I think I did that for a couple of years. I even started my own business. Um, you know, I started my own business again, working with international. So there's a pattern here, working with international students that were looking, um, to come to the U S and believe it. So I like to joke actually that, and I was having this conversation with my husband the other day, because I said, you know, this was kind of, this is 2003 or four, probably four. And it was basically a really early version of Airbnb. So I was working with, what do we do in LA? We act, we have Hollywood. (laughs) So I was working with the acting schools that attracted a lot of international talent, but because they weren't universities or any kind of, you know, formal uh, institution, they didn't have, you know, like they didn't have campuses and they didn't have like dorms or anything um, to you know, they, to help the international students that were coming to study their acting courses. So I partnered with them and I would, you know, basically try to find these international students, uh, roommates and housing options. Um, and so, you know, I, I did that for about maybe two years. Um, and you know, in, after about two years, I was taken after two years, I was taken to small claims court Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was, I was 20, you know, I was 24. So I had a, a, an unhappy, um, an unhappy roommate, um, who took me to small claims court and I was 24 and it wasn't, you know, in the end, nothing, nothing happened, nothing, um, you know, nothing, it didn't work out in her favor. Um, but it was enough to, for me to, to jolt me, uh, cause that was a bit, somewhat of a traumatic experience when you're 24 and someone takes you to small claims court for something that you, you know, that I don't think that, um, you know, that I was really uh, at fault for. And so, um, At that point, so again, I'm like 24, maybe 25, and I decide, okay, you know, like I I, I know this isn't what I want to do right now. um, So I would love to go back to Spain and have another international experience. I always wanted to do an MBA. So I thought, okay, this is these are signs from the universe, um, you know, to, to take this pause and to go abroad. And so I decided to go and um, do my MBA and I finished up my MBA uh, in the, it was a one-year program and started working right away out of my program um, before I graduated. I think it was one of the first people to have an offer um, on the table. Um, and so I started working in Spain and uh, that's kind of how, you know, like how I got, my, my life uh, began in Spain. I thought, well, I'll, I'll start you know, working here for a couple of years. And then at some point I'll go back, but life just kind of happens and, you know, you end up getting rooted. Um, and so I ended up after, you know, my, my post MBA experience, um, was working at a business school, um, in their professional development, sorry, their executive, um, education department. And here we were working, and this is kind of really where the, my path, I think starts to take shape. Um, and so I was working with, multinationals that would send their employees to executive education programs. And so, you know, was working with the, the, um, the HR, you know, directors and development directors uh, on, you know, on these programs. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I ended up going to work for my alma mater, um, IE Business School, into their careers uh, department. And that's really where I had kind of my first exposure to recruitment. Uh, because here, 
we were working with students, getting them prepared to, you know, either begin their internship or their post MBA um, work experience and working with the companies in helping them to find talent. Um, and so that, you know, that I, I did that for about five years, um, had my first child. Um, and at that point decided, you know, I really wanted to have, you know, I, I really wanted to have more freedom. Um, and, and so I took a, a, a year, you know, over there, um, there's a lot of, you know, you have a long maternity leave. Um, and so I was able to, uh, extend my maternity, maternity leave and really think about what it is that I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up, um, you know, when I decided, you know, looking back, uh, or looking, you know, towards the future, um, Again, I, I didn't really have like a clear idea, but I knew what I like liked to do. Um, and so I ended up connecting with someone um, and, you know, they basically said, well, we are part of a startup um, and we really need help building out our team here in Spain. And, uh, you know, would you want to help us? And so that basically turned into a, a three-year gig of helping them build their tech development team. So it's a very windy path. <laughs> their, their tech development is in Spain um, because they were going to be basically, um, you know, this is, we're talking 2014 before the streaming services, mm -hmm. before, you know, um, being able to to watch anything online really became you know, like the norm. So it's still a, an emerging kind of product and service. Um, and we were building out the development hub um, for a, a company that was going to launch in Spain and then it was going to launch in the Middle East. And um, I did tech recruitment um, for part of that and ended up becoming the, you know, the the head of HR and uh, and recruitment. And they ended up scrapping Spain, keeping the development center in Spain, but uh, launching the service in in Dubai and in the Middle East. And so at that point, my scope changed because I was doing recruitment in the Middle East for kind of more uh, management roles and then doing tech recruitment in Spain. Um, and so it was a really an awesome experience because it was truly, you know, it was it was a start. It was a heavily funded startup, um, which eventually went on to become Stars Stars Play Arabia, um, it, which was acquired by I think Lionsgate not that long ago. Um, but it was an incredible experience because it was my first time really in a, in a truly you know recruitment heavy role. Um, you know, it was, my title was HR director, director of HR and recruitment, but it was really, you know, really recruitment was the bulk of my, of my job. Um, and so I got to do that in Spain and I got to do that in the Middle East and, you know, just had a boot camp uh, type of, of role uh, of learning not only, you know, proper recruitment, but recruitment in markets that re that I had really had no experience in. So I had to quickly learn all the nuances of recruitment in the Middle East um, and Europe. So that that's kind of the, the first part. I don't know if you want to <laughs> be wow, like... Wow, that's... It is a windy path, but I can see how each step kind of leads slowly but surely to, to what you're doing today. Um, at what point did you decide like, I want to do this for myself and, you know, turn this into a, a business. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so at this point, you know, it's I, I've been in this role for a couple years. Um, the the office in Dubai was really growing, and you know, they wanted me to move to Dubai. I was I was pregnant with my second child, and had no interest in leaving. I have a love affair with Spain. <laughs> uh, and so I had no interest in leaving Spain. And really, there was no, the role really needed to be based out of the Dubai office. And so I, you know, I, I parted ways. And at the same time, the country manager uh, for Spain had just gone to HBO and was looking at launching HBO in Spain. Um, and basically bringing what is now HBO Max to to Spain because at the time it was all uh, it was cable, um, so there was no there was no streaming service at that point. Um, and so he said, "Well, you know, uh, he, we got along really great, and we worked very closely together um, at, at Stars." And so he said, "You know, I need I need someone to help me build this team." Can you come? You know, it's a small team. There's no headcount for, you know, uh, uh, for someone to work recruitment. You know, would you be willing to do this kind of, you know, um, as a freelancer, as a consultant? I was pregnant and feeling terrible. Um, and the thought of having to go anywhere, um, you know, into an office just, you know, didn't didn't appeal to me. And so he he said this to me and I thought, this is perfect. I can work from home. Um, and I and and that's how I started. Um, it was kind of you know this uh, this opportunity to build out. And it, now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like an incredible brand <laughs> to be doing this for. And I'm working with you know all these folks from the U.S. that have now come to Spain to help build out this um, you know this organization. And I'm now on my own doing this. Um, and and I was still in the VOD uh, entertainment. Space and I and and HBO then became my main client, um, but I was on my own, and that's really kind of the the humble beginnings of, of career rock stars. Um, and at the same time, um, because now it's like, well, don't you do private equity recruitment? <laughs> um, and and so at the same time, one of my buddies from the MBA. Uh, had just joined a middle market uh, private equity firm in New York and was building out his team and said the same thing to me. I need help. You know, I need help building out my team and I need a recruiter that I can trust and I know you um, and you're working with a really great brand. So, you know, you're legit, <laughs> basically, is what he said. Um, I knew nothing about private equity nothing. Um, and I said, of course I can help you. Like, yeah, you know, how hard can it be? I'm working with like HBO and, you know, thought obviously thought very highly of myself. Um, and, and so he brought me on. Um, and that's, again, that's kind of like another, another path. So at one point in my career, I was doing, so I, I should also mention that like everything that I was doing with HBO and on the entertainment side was strictly in Europe. And so I ended up doing, you know, part of my work was on the European side, um, working, you know, HBO Spain turned into HBO Portugal, which then turned into Finland, Swinland, Sweden, and a couple of other countries. And then at the same time, I was beginning this uh, recruitment, um, private equity recruitment in New York. And so my you know, working across all these different time zones. Um, and, and and that's what I was doing probably for about two years. And it ended up up until about COVID, actually, um, and maybe a little bit before. And uh, I, I always joke that, you know, while I was doing this, uh, 
there's only so many conversations about Game of Thrones that you can have before, you know, you're just like, okay, there's there's more. <laughs> and I and I really loved the conversations that I was having and the interviews and everything that I was learning um, in, you know, when I was doing these private equity roles. And, and um, I just found it much more enriching to me and, and to the candidates. Um, and so that's when I decided to, you know, really kind of leave the European entertainment kind of space and really just focus on the U.S. market and, you know, specifically within private equity. Amazing. Wow. I don't think I know that. I knew that whole story before. No? Um, I knew parts of it, but uh, it's really interesting. So what was it about the private equity space that, you know, resonated for you that you felt like, hey, this is, I really like this. This is what I want to concentrate on? I just, I found everything fascinating. I've, I found that just this concept of, of acquisition, of taking, you know, taking capital and looking at how to invest this and not only, you know, because companies I work with, it's not just about financial engineering. It's about performance improvement. And how can we take a business that has done well, but hasn't really been able to, you know, kind of take that next step um, in their in their journey and really, you know, um, you know, move kind of, you know, they 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 a lot of the times are family founded businesses um, with lots of, you know, kind of legacy type of processes and structures. And, and, and so the firms that I work with really look at, okay, how can we improve this organization? And how can we not only, you know, increase revenue, but how can we deliver value in a different, in a different way to the organization and to the end users? And I found that piece to be really transformational. Um, and, and you look at just the overall, the big picture, and there's so much potential, potential, you know, in terms of creating, because these are companies that a lot of them, fuel local economies, right? And and they are, in my opinion, and this is where, this is what probably gets me the most excited. I mean, this is the engine of the economy. These are small businesses. I mean, these are businesses, you know, I'm not, I, I'm working in a segment of the market that we're not talking the billion dollar deals. We are talking, again, the family founded businesses that maybe, you know, um, are going to be making, let's just say less than 500 million in revenue, right? So these are, you know, not the the huge businesses and the huge, you know, billion dollar deals that that you hear about in the news, right? Actually, you don't even hear about these deals, um, you know, unless you're unless you're in the space. So that piece I found to be most interesting. And I would listen to my candidates talk to me about exactly the types of projects that they were doing and what kinds of initiatives they were implementing and the challenges of taking a family business. Um, and having to affect change in in an organization and how they went about doing that, that to me was, like I said, the most fascinating piece. And when you compared it to the other conversations that I was having, you know, like I said, with with a lot of my um, entertainment candidates, I mean, it's interesting, um, you know, and not to discredit, you know, like not to devalue anything. Um, but I just, like I said, there's only so many conversations about content, um, you know, like entertainment content and, and shows that you can have, you know, where it's just like, okay, this isn't life 
changing or life altering. Um, right. But, but on the other hand, these conversations are, it's real life. Um, it's real life. And these are people that are, you know, working, um, you know, to, to, to transform. And that, that's really what, what got me excited. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. I love it. That's a, I, That makes total sense. So how does the diversity piece factor in then? And how did you come to the realization that that was going to be a kind of key differentiator for you and something that you really believed in and you were going to, um, you know, make that, how can I put this? Like you are going, you're, you're going to make this your mission to uh, help your clients to uh, build more diverse companies. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I was working, you know, when I started, I thought, oh, these are just a, a, a whole lot of white guys here. <laughs> that <laughs> right. was like my initial thought for, for lack of a better, less diplomatic way to say it. And so, you know, my initial client never, they never said anything. They never explicitly said, oh, we'd like to see more women or we'd like to see more people of color. It just seemed very common sense to me, Mark, to say, why don't we, I start making it, you know, why don't I make more of an effort to, you know, reach out to women? And, and, you know, so it was just common sense to me. Um, and, and I don't know why it's maybe it's, you know, being growing up in LA, um, you know, you're in a really diverse setting. I, I don't know. It just seemed, it just seemed like, okay, well, let's try to branch out a little bit more and find, you know, other, you know, other talk to other candidates. And, so I always kind of, you know, I always kind of had that in mind. Um, and I, I started to, you know, I think after about maybe two years or so, I started to look at my numbers. And looking back, I, I was like, oh, I've actually made a lot of placements that have been women. I've made a lot of placements that have been, you know, people of color and everyone that kind of maybe even falls under the, the that umbrella of diversity. And those numbers were showing that they were, you know, depending on the year, were like between like 60 and 75%. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I didn't really see a lot of that out there. And it was really, 
it was really like in 2020 when the world was falling apart um, that I guess me being in, so I, you know, I, I'm in Europe and I'm working with U.S. companies um, and I'm seeing everything happen in the U.S. from, I think, from a different lens. Um, so I'm not living it, but I'm I'm experiencing it in a very different way. And, and so I just thought, you know, what's happening, like, I could be doing more, like, I I can be doing more, and I should be doing more. And I'm not going to join a protest, because that's, I I don't do that. Um, And I won't write a letter to my senator, (laughs) even though that is a civic duty that (laughs) we should do. Um, But I, I just felt moved to do something and being, you know, working from a distance, I just thought, okay, well, what can I do? And, And that's really when I decided to, to double down on, you know, on on increasing, um, you know, the the number of, of of diverse candidates that are, you know, even in this, you know, in in my pipeline at least, and th- and that's really how it started. Um, and what I found was that the more I talked about it, the more firms were like, yes, you know, like shaking their heads, like yes, that we, you know, this is, we love that. Um, and that really kind of fueled me, you know, to to say, okay, th- there's no one is really doing this. Everyone is kind of just talking about it, but no one's really taking action. And I just thought, like, I I can take more action, and this is how I can use my influence um, to to bring about change, um, you know, to something that I think is is important. Amazing! I love that because you're, you know, you've got a lot of, you're just full of passion and positive energy, and. Uh, I love that you've found some like work that you that fulfills you in that way. Um, what have been? Well, let's start with like what do you feel most proud of having achieved? Looking back over your, you know, business and career, particularly since you've really worked for yourself. Um. I don't know, you know, sometimes, you know, like sometimes it's, it, I feel like that question is hard. I ask that question all the time. Like, what are, you, <laughs> what are your major achievements, right? right. right? Um, or what are you most proud of? And I feel like that's, <clears throat> that's hard. Sometimes when I, when I take that step back and I think, gosh, like I am doing, I, I have this business. I have a, a pretty good brand. I'm doing it from a completely different continent. Um, I've had, you know, like, two children, you know, in the meantime, while I'm doing this. And and I, sometimes I think, oh, you know, like, that's, you know, whatever. But then I think back, like, no, that's hard. That is hard. <laughs> that's hard. And that's hard. Like, I have three kids. Two of them were born as, you know, like I, one of them was probably the reason why I started my own, you know, decided to go off. You know, when I really look at it is the reason why I decided to go off on my own. Um, but I, I think it's, I don't know. It's probably a couple things that I'm proud of. I'm proud that I'm I'm I've been able to build. I, I've been able to learn, I guess, so quickly, uh, like in a space that I probably I was afraid of private equity, like in college. Well, I didn't even know what private equity was in college, <laughs> but I. I like I I stayed away from finance. I was a business major, not a good sign. Um, but I was a business major. But like the finance piece of it, always always made me a little bit nervous. And so, you know, I I look at myself now, and I can have a conversation with managing directors of you know these 
you know, they, they manage billions in, in assets. And I can have a conversation and they listen to what I say <laughs> um, is, is what I, I think is like really amazing to me and, and, you know, has proven to me like, you know, I, I'm completely capable of doing whatever it is that I want to do. Um, and, and really the only one that's limited, uh, you know, the only thing that's really limited, uh, me is me. <laughs> um, so I think that it's that it's, it's actually, you know, having built a, a firm dedicated to private equity. Um, and, and of course I'm extremely proud of the fact that I, I work with women and, and people of color and, 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 you know, diverse candidates in general. And, you know, they, the, the feedback that I get is, you know, I, I had no idea people like you existed and, you know, I appreciate the work that you're doing and that, that fills that. my, bu- I talk a lot about filling my bucket yeah. and that fills my bucket. I bet. Absolutely. Wow. That's cool. Um, what do you think has been some of the challenges or obstacles or setbacks that you've encountered uh, in your journey, Alexis? Me. I have been my biggest setback. Say more about that. What, my biggest what challenge. What do you mean? Kind of going back to what I, you know, what I said is that, you know, I've, you know, it's those limiting beliefs. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 42 now. Um, and I think, you know, I have a level of confidence that I didn't have, you know, like even two years ago or three years ago oh, that's awesome. and, and question myself you know, question what, like, do I belong, you know, like, I mean, of course, I think that's very normal to have, you know, to have those sentiments, like, what am I doing? Do I even know what I'm doing? <laughs> do I even know what I'm doing? I have no, I've never worked in private equity. Um, you know, I've never worked on a deal, you know, and you're speaking with incredibly bright people um, all the time. And, and so that, that has made me, especially earlier on, a little bit insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that really limited um, kind of maybe my growth uh, and the growth of the company because, uh, you know, you just kind of think, oh, you know, I, I can't do that or I'm not smart enough. Or if only I found myself saying, like, if only if only I, you know, uh, if I if only I could understand it, like, you know, differently or if only I had experience here. And now I look back and I think, OK, well, you know, that's that's BS. Like, you know, like it's really just me giving myself excuses is is what I, is about what I see. Right. Um, so I think that I, you know, I have been the biggest, uh, setback to myself, (laughs) the biggest challenge to myself is that mental piece of it. Because obviously as a business owner, that the mental piece is a huge part of it. Um, so that, that has become more evident, um, with every year in this business and and every year uh, that I go around the sun. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so let's just talk about that a little more because you are so right. I think that is inevitably the biggest uh, roadblock or limitation is ourselves and our own, own mindsets. So, um, which is, it's hilarious. Like from the outside looking in, you know, you're a multilingual business owner with an MBA, you know, obviously a v- incredibly smart and capable person. And yet we're always our own worst critic, aren't we? So, you know, the way other people see you is completely different often to how we see ourselves. And um, we are inclined to sort of minimize or downplay 
our brilliance and to focus in on like what we're not amazing at or our, you know, uh, weaknesses and that sort of thing and almost magnify those. What, um, what do you think helped to dislodge some of those limitations and embrace like this new confidence that you're developing? Um, well, uh, you, (laughs) that was, that was a big part of it. That was certainly a big, a big part of it. Um, I guess I have to give credit to my husband, uh, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He can um, have some credit. <laughs> I guess. I, I have to give credit to my husband because he he was actually, you know, like I had been here, like I had never really thought about coaching. Uh, I had never really thought about coaching. It was more me kind of just saying out loud, I wish someone could help me or that could show me how to do this. And, you know, he came across something um, you know, it was actually like another group. And, and he was like, well, you know, look, these people reached out to me. And, you know, this is, uh, maybe you want to consider it. And it was kind of like, yeah, maybe like, you know, and so the more like, and then, you know, uh, you know, they, the the magic's in the follow up, right? Because they kept following up with him, not me, (laughs) they kept following up with him. Um, and so he kept telling me about it. And it, it then it sparked my curiosity, um, you know, and I I ended up opening myself up to, oh, OK, well, look, I didn't even know that there were people that did this. Um, and so that really was probably the first part of me embarking on this kind of maybe uh, personal um, development journey that I hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't thought of. Um, and so, you know, I ended up, you know, coming across some of your content and then, you know, joined, joined the group and that, that really helped to just, you know, open up the melon, (laughs) um, right. And, and it makes you think in a, in a very different way. And at least, you know, for me, and that's, you know, like I, I talk a lot about this with, like with my clients and my candidates is, you know, and I, have a, I, I kind of created a framework um, with the work that I do. And one of them is about being patient. And and I found myself, um, like patience is like a concept that is very overlooked and very under, you know, it's it's under uh, appreciated. Um, and and I found myself just last week saying, you know, to, uh, to someone, you know, we, you need to have patience with, you know, I was talking in, in, in the context of diversity. But then I said something like, we need to have patience with ourselves. Um, and we don't understand that because we live in a world where everything needs to be really quick um, and everything, you want to see results immediately. And when you don't, it's disheartening and it's very easy. It's very easy to say, you know, oh, this, you know, doesn't work or, you know, whatever it may be. You lose your patience, right? You lose, you just, yep. you know. Been there. Um, and and, and yeah, and so um, for me, like, uh, like I don't know. I I just it's it's taken a little while. It's not immediate, right? Like you don't just have these mind blowing moments and then say, okay, like you know, like life is going to be different. No, it's it's gradual, right? But the key is to be consistent, um, you know. And so that's really what, like, I think helped this transformation is that you you open yourself up to development and then you know, you, it starts to happen little by little. Um, and, and that's where like really the patience piece comes in. So it's been, you know, three years that I've been in the group and I I find that I'm still, 
you know, like I'm still on the journey and I, hopefully the journey doesn't end ever, right? Like I can't, I always want to be, I, as much as I don't like thinking, I don't, there are some things that I, that I don't know, or I wish I was better at. I feel like I also need that to keep me, you know, pushing me along to keep wanting to be better and wanting to learn more and, you know, be more, to continue to be hungry, I guess is Love it. what I'm trying to say. Fantastic, Alexis. That's, that's so cool. Could you uh, talk a little bit about this framework that you developed? Because I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, it's, uh, there's patterns in our, in our lives. Right? <laughs> uh, and so I, uh, like, just like I, I mentioned how I, you know, the diversity piece was kind of just, a, it started as something common sense to me. It was the same thing where I was thinking like, okay, what do I see are the problems when I'm working with firms um, when it comes to attracting diverse talent? Um, and what do I think needs to be in place in order for them to be successful? Um, and so when I started to, I, you know, I, I started to write it down. Um, I, I was asked to present at a, at a client's meeting and present, um, you know, a 45-minute a, a PowerPoint. And I thought, well, what do I what do I present? And so I actually started to put down everything that I did onto paper. And I realized, you know, again, going back to common sense and and just simple concepts of, you know, I thought, well, th this is this is really what is needed. It's not we're we're overcomplicating things because that's just what humans are good at doing, right? Overcomplicating things. And so I, I thought, well, it's it's about patience. Um, so what does that mean in this context? It means that it, that diversity, um, so finding a underrepresented group to work uh, in your firm takes time because there's you know a number of reasons why. Um, but patience is a is a key part. And so that means you need to plan in advance. You need to you know plan one or two quarters in advance. And then I thought, you know, with my own personal journey, nothing really happened until I became, like really, really happened until I got really clear on the purpose, like why I'm doing things, what I wanted to achieve. And then, of course, you can't, you have to move with intention. So it's kind of act, credibility through action, right? So you being very intentional with, with what you're doing. And it's something that like patience, purpose, and intention, that framework I've started to apply it to everything <laughs> that I do. Um, so not only with the clients that I work with and telling them how to help them and what they need to do and what patience in their context means and purpose and intention in their context means, but like with candidates who, you know, want to make a move, it's the same, it's the same simple concepts that are applied, but just you're adapting them to different, uh, to different scenarios. Um, and, and personally, like when I reflect on, on everything that I, you know, you know, everything that I've done, I, I thought, well, nothing happened, uh, I, un, un, you know, until these three things were present until I understood, okay, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, anything good is not going to happen overnight. And you have to have a very clear idea of what you want. And then you have to move with intention, like everything from finding my husband to, you know, living in <laughs> Spain to building my business, all of those things. And, and I realized that and I'm like, okay, this is, this is what, this is what I'm doing. And this is what others can do uh, or can replicate, um, you know, to, to help get them where they want to be, especially in terms of, of diversity. Amazing. So Patience, purpose, and intention. 
Uh, I love that. And Alexis, you've you've um, you've not mentioned a couple of amazing things that you've achieved. Which uh, so I'm going to remind you, and then you can you can talk a little bit about those. So one of which was um, launching your podcast. So can you say a little more about why you did that and and how it's benefiting the business and also you know the PE industry. Yeah. So again, I'm going to like have to toot your horn um, <laughs> because uh, actually you're the reason why I have a podcast, I think, uh, Mark, because in our, you know, one of our first calls, I said, you know, I, I don't like to do, I don't like to do, feel like I'm selling to anyone. Um, and that for me is, you know, I, I don't know if it's because I'm millennial. I don't know what it is. Um, if I'm even millennial, what you consider. Me. <laughs> but one of the things you said to me was, you know, why don't you try to do a podcast? Because I had never, I guess, I, let me take a few steps back. I had never really had to do business development before in my business because I had the 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 privilege, um, which is a double-edged sword, uh, of never having to actively seek out new business because new business was always referred to me. And I would... I would land a client based off of someone else's referral. So extremely fortunate to have that. But at the same time, um, you know, not very wise to only rely on referrals. Uh, and, you know, it was, I had a, a moment at some point where I was like, this is, I can't do this. Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I need to seek out more, more business. But I had never been in in this type of role. And so I was very reluctant to try any of the traditional channels, right? Like I, you know, you know how I feel about cold outreach. I do not like to do cold uh, calling. Um, and and I felt like, you know, especially, uh, especially a few years back, it was, there was more of a conversation around cold calling um, compared to some of, you know, a lot of the other um, channels that are out there now. And so one of the things you suggested was a podcast. And and obviously, you know, like I like to talk as we've already established. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, well, this would be, you know, this would be really, that could be really interesting. Um, and so I decided to, you know, have this podcast um, and I would call it, you know, since my firm is called Career Rockstars, I would call it Take the Stage. And I really wanted to focus on women um, because women became female candidates became a really challenging segment to recruit uh, for private equity and just the overall investment space. And so I thought that this could be really interesting um, to, to, to connect and to hear stories um, from, you know, from, from women in the space. And so I dedicated a series called Ladies Who Rock that was just going to be exclusively focused on, on women in, you know, that are um, either well-established or up-and-comers. Um, and, you know, it was probably the the smartest business decision that I've ever made because I think all of my business um, for the last two years has come either directly or indirectly off the heels of the podcast. So, you know, I, you know, now, now I do do business development. Um, and one of the one of the things that I, I like to lead with is or an easy way to lead, um, you know, to start a conversation is with the podcast. Um, and so I would, you know, for the first two years, really just focus on, uh, you know, on reaching out to women across all levels. Um, and it was just a really easy I found it very uh, seamless 
Um, and not only were, you know, were these people, um, you know, really flattered that, you know, we, they'd, they'd, you know, were being invited to be a podcast and uh, the ones that were maybe not so flattered and didn't really, you know, think that they would want to do it, you know, were very kind and, you know, would refer, maybe refer me potential guests or, um, you know, they uh, didn't want to be a podcast guest, but they wanted to do business with me. Um, and so it, it's really been, it's really been a great experience. Um, and now I've, you know, I've, I'm two years in and I've expanded now, actually my, my first episode uh, this week for the, the broader platform, Take the Stage, um, was, was uh, launched. And so now I'm speaking to, you know, uh, to men and, and to women and hearing these different perspectives, but all under kind of the, uh, this diversity landscape. And so I made it a point, I think that this is a really important piece to not and actually, I just had a conversation with a candidate that I placed um, right before I did this call. And he said, he's like, I really like your podcast because it doesn't just talk about deals. Because in private equity and in the investment space, you know, you you talk a lot about the deals, everything that went into it, you know, that's been done. And I I wanted to hear like this, the like their stories um, and I, I made it a point to not only speak with senior folks, like the managing directors and, you know, like the the really um, seasoned people, because I felt, you know, I spend a lot of my time talking to early career professionals. So these are people that have two to three, let's just say, you know, somewhere between two to five years of professional experience. And there's really nothing out there for them Um in terms of resources or content, um, everything's out there is with the deal makers um, and people that have maybe 15, 20, 30 years of experience on them. And so I really wanted to have something where you could have someone that has three years of experience and listen to a peer um, talk about their journey. How did they get into it? What, you know, what did they do? The lessons and the insights that they can share. And so so the show really, you know, talks to a really broad audience in terms of seniority level, um, because I think it's an important it's important to tell everyone's story and not just focus on you know the the ones that have already made it. They're important too, uh, but but I think it's also really great to hear uh, someone that's at your level or just you know the next level above you and to hear what that experience is. So that's. That that's kind of been my my journey to date with the with the podcast. I love that you're doing a phenomenal job, Alexis, with uh, with your podcast and also just your content in general. People should definitely check you out uh, on LinkedIn, Alexis Eva Alvarez, um, and see the kind of stuff you're posting as well, because um, you are really doing a fantastic job of building your brand and your authority and your in your space and really becoming known you know, as the person who makes diversity reality for lower and middle market PE firms. So um, I love how you're like, you're Thank really you. owning that, you know, that uh, niche and you're being very visible and valuable um, around that. So that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah. And um, you. I want, go I, ahead. All right. No, I was, I was just going to add um, that you don't know who, at the end of the day, you don't know who you're reaching and who you're talking to. Yep. And I feel like this, we need to harp on this a okay. lot because, you know, we, you, like I have made, like I never posted up until I joined your group. That's another thing. I never posted anything. 
Um, not one post on LinkedIn. Um, and so I started doing that when I joined the group and I made it very, like very intentional with my posts. And, and everyone knows, you know, sometimes it's like, no one liked it or, you know, we don't get that self gratification. And it's like, what it took me like, you know, it took me like an hour to write the post and I like nothing happened. And at the end of the day, you don't know, even if you don't have a lot of, uh, like the metrics don't seem like they're there. I've have at least two or three examples of someone that referred someone to me that I'm not even connected with, uh, and, or that I've never spoken to, um, tell them that person like, Oh, you should talk to Alexis. Cause she's, you know, you know, she's the one you want to speak to. And, and I think who referred you? Um, Oh, so-and-so referred me and said that, you know, like, yeah, you're the person I need to speak to. And I look and that someone has, you know, like we are maybe a second connection or we've connected on LinkedIn, but we've never engaged in a conversation. And so it just goes to show you that, um, you know, you're, you're being heard and you're being seen and you leave an imprint, uh, even though it doesn't really like look like that, uh, you know, from, from where you sit. So it's really important. I think it just, I can't underestimate or emphasize that enough that just how important it is to, to be present on LinkedIn. So that's I'm, it. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that story because, well, that's patient's purpose and intention again, isn't it? It's another example of that, okay. but yeah, it's so true. Like it takes courage to put yourself out there, right? Whether it's through a podcast or publicly like sharing content on LinkedIn, especially if it's your own original ideas or your, you know, original content and you're, you're creating something and putting it out there. And um, you really can never know the impact that's going to have and what people and opportunities that might attract. And um and, and it's just amazing how that can really snowball. There's a really long tail as well with podcasts. So, you know, someone might listen. You've, you've been doing this for two years now. And, you know, it's those episodes that you recorded two years ago are still assets that are working for you because someone might come across one of your previous episodes or find your show and start consuming those episodes. And that work that you did way back then is still having a positive impact now. So there is, it's just amazing what can happen. Um, could you also tell the story? Yeah, yeah. Could you tell the story? Because I was really proud when this, I heard this, that you beat Hydrogen Struggles in a, in a pitch and won that really amazing piece of business. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that you're right. Like I forgot the, <laughs> forgot about that. Um yeah, that was actually that was actually huge. Um and just you know, I I had worked with a client in the US on a role in the, you know, for their office in the US. They were expanding into Europe. Um you know, and they I, I said, you know, they knew I was based in Madrid. Um, and I said, well, hey, you know, I'm in Europe and, you know, I have experience in some of the other European markets. Um, and so I'm happy to to help. And, you know, they they gave me, um, you know, a VP level role. Um, and so I said, OK, you know, I'm happy to work on this VP level role. And about a week later, um, they had said, you know, we um, you know, if you happen to find some candidates that could be for the MD level, you know, maybe you want to, you know, just just let us know. Um, and so, you know, I kind of thought, all right, well, you know, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Um, 
And I ended up becoming, you know, again, they were all American. They had no experience, at least the like the recruitment team in the U.S., um, working with the European, any European market. And so, you know, things, you know, it was, uh, it was, they were working in the Netherlands. So a lot of different nuances um, to kind of deal with. And, um, you know, I said, well, you know, I have, you know, I have, um, I have, you know, I have some really great candidates for you for the MD role. And, you know, they said, okay, you know, like this is, this is great. Um, and they said, you know what, we were not happy with, uh, hydrogen struggles. Um, we are, you've just been, I guess I delivered a, a just a different level of service to them. It, it not even, you know, like in this initial, you know, like the ramp up. Um, right. And so I think that they were evaluating, you know, kind of looking at who to work with. And I think that, you know, the fact that I was American, but in Europe and, you know, helping them and letting them know, well, look, this is how things are done here. This is what, you know, like um, the different, the little different cultural nuances that you might come across. And this is where, you know, like this is what, these are what candidates look for in Europe. And these are just giving a whole lot of color to someone that maybe doesn't have that international experience. And so, um, you know, when I told them that I had my, you know, that I had candidates for them and I had like three of them and they were lined up and ready to go, they're like, like we're not we're not going to even consider hydric anymore um so that was yes that was just like you know i was like oh all right well that's great to hear and i off the phone and i was like amazing i love that story <laughs> I, yeah fantastic yeah, yeah. and uh you ended up filling both of those positions didn't you so I ended up filling, no, I ended up filling the managing director okay. role, which was huge because I had never, I mean, like I had never done a managing director role um, it, it before. Um, and so that was huge. And it was a really awesome opportunity. Um, and then they ended up giving me two more roles um, on top of that for for that particular office. So I ended up placing like three, uh, you know, and it was a small office. Um, and so three of those roles, um, three three of like a 10 person team were filled by by me. Amazing. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so it was What awesome. I love is the domino effect here, Alexis, like how things, the work you're doing leads into something else, which leads into even more opportunities. You know, working on an MD level role almost, allows you to do business development without doing business development because you, you're recruiting calls and those meetings with candidates then become, you know, essentially meetings with also future, you know, potential clients. So it just opens up so many more avenues for you as well. No, it, it's, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was awesome um, because it, it just one uh, Take away the 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 piece of like you know like it's a, it's a big fee um, and it's a big role. The confidence that I had after that is like probably the most important win. Um, that you know, I mean, like the fee is good, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the comp the confidence piece because I don't know it, it was almost like a it, proving to myself. I can do this. Yes, like I've done it. I just did it, and I did a good job. And you know. Again, the the like I I feel like the times that I've struggled in my life, whether it's my career or personal life, it has been when I've overthought things, yeah. when I overthink it, um, and just you know just don't do it, um, right? Or it's like I, I thought of I didn't even think about it 
in terms of like, oh my gosh, I don't know what a managing director, you know, I've never done this. Um, I just did it. And I was like, okay, just, and, and, that, and that's something that I find myself saying a lot now, just, you know, just, just, just do it, just continue to do it every day, even when you don't want to do it, um, or even when you don't think you can do it, or you don't think you're doing a really good job, just do whatever it is that you that you need to do to get whatever job that you're trying to do uh, done. Because that, you know, it's like those little those little steps um, that are going to really, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, okay, they were micro steps, but they were, you know, 150 micro steps. So, <laughs> you know, like that actually, that there's progress there. So, yeah. Amazing. I love it. Um, could we talk briefly about being a working parent? Because we both have three kids. Mine are now teenagers. In, in many ways, it's getting easier. There's new challenges, but in terms of the amount of time, effort, and you know, lack of sleep and all that stuff that goes into it, that's, uh, that part's a lot easier. But I remember when they were little, like, in fact, there's a whole, there's probably about a five to 10 year period where I was just continuously sleep deprived and you still have to perform at work, right? And you still have to make stuff happen. How have you managed that piece? Because on the outside looking in, it looks like you have absolutely figured this out and you're like the queen of, you know, business, you know, running a business and being a mom at the same time. What's your, what's your secret there? Yeah, there's no secret. <laughs> I lose my mind probably, you know, at least once a day. Um, in summer, I find that it's like intensified uh, more right. when they're not in, in school. But I think, I mean, when they were little, so when I, when it was just kind of maybe the, the, the two of them, um, I mean, I had my son, uh, you know, like, I, in fact, I, I didn't want to, uh, I'll tell the secret now, like, I didn't want to tell HBO that I was, that I was, um, the, or maybe it was the third one. I, you know, I have too many kids. I know. I mix, them up. It, <laughs> I, mix I don't remember which one it was, but I remember with both of them, I think it was the last one. I didn't want to mention that I was like, I think they called me like on the way to the hospital for my cesarean. And I didn't want to say like, I'm having a baby today. Um, you know, uh, and so I, I was like, yeah, I could start. I, it was like a Wednesday. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, Monday I'll work. And I, <laughs> and I, and I worked oh, I, and Alexis. I, and I kicked off a call and, and, you know, uh, and I did that. Um, why? That's insane. Like, what were I don't you know thinking? Was, what, like, I don't, I don't know, but it was, it was manageable. It was manageable. It wasn't something that was like, you know, crazy. But I, I remember like having, uh, you know, with both of the, the last ones, like my, my son and my daughter, um, you know, like feeding and then doing a call um, and, you know, then like, you know, putting the baby down and like going back and, and doing that. But in many ways, I, in many ways, I, I really appreciated that because it was I worked from home and it was convenient and I could schedule that. Um, and I wouldn't have had necessarily had that freedom. I, I mean, I, like if I was working, if I was employed, I would have been on a, like a maternity break and it probably would have been a little bit easier. But I mean, it was, I, I thought it was manageable. And I don't remember, I, to be honest, Mark, I feel more stressed out now that my kids are grown up. Uh, well, grown up now that they're four, seven and 10. 
than when I had, you know, when the two were babies. Um, and I, I just feel like they, you know, like they're, uh, they're at different stages right now where it is harder to balance, um, everything. I don't even know if balance is the right word. Um, yeah. I feel like balance, like you, you're never really balancing no, anything. Exactly. Right? Like that's maybe a myth. Like it's like managing, right, like, you right. know, like try to manage everything, you know? Um, and so I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I mean, I, I you know, I like sometimes you, 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 it's easy to be hard on yourself and say like, I'm not doing a good job, but I find that like, I really, I, I try to make time for them. Like I have a hard stop. So in Europe, I have a hard time, uh, or I have a hard, uh, stop at 7 PM, uh, European time, which is 1 PM Eastern time. So that means that like all my calls need to be done before, you know, early afternoon in on the East Coast or, you know, by by 10 a.m. Pacific time. And and that's like a non-negotiable. Like I so I sit down and we have dinner with them or together, all of us as, as a family. And that's like what they've come to know. Yeah. Whether it's a peaceful dinner is like a completely different yeah, story. No, but we are sitting, not, but at least you're together. We're sitting down yeah. and yeah. And that, that's like a for sure thing. Uh, that's a for sure thing. And so I think that like when, you know, I think it's about looking at like, okay, what is that? What what do I want? Do I want to have, that was always something that I had in my family. Like uh, I knew for sure that we were going to be eating dinner together yeah, no too. matter what. And we were eating at the table always. Um, and so like for me, that's really important. So I make sure that we have that. Um, and then, you know, like it's never going to be perfect, right? Like I feel like we, we have that, it's a myth to think that it's going to be perfect and that it's going to be easy because it's not. Owning your business is never easy. Yeah. Uh, being a parent is never easy. Doing it together is, <laughs> you know, it's never easy. Um, so I think it's it's just understanding that and saying, okay, it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. This isn't perfect, but we do the best that we can. And, and you know, you take those moments and uh, and, and try to replicate them as as much as possible. I love that. And maybe it's about patience, purpose, and intention again. And it is about <laughs> a whole lot of patience. A whole lot of patience. But you're right. Yes. Take, get, getting as many of those moments as possible, uh, I think that's well said. Alexis, this was a fun conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I know. This was this was like having a little, you know, felt like having a little drink, little <laughs> little I coffee time uh, break here. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much and uh, can't wait to see you soon. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. I loved it. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.